together once again tonight. And as we come together, this morning I had in mind that there were a couple announcements that were really important that I needed to make sure that you knew of. And it just so happens that I forgot. It happens a lot with me. But as we come together tonight, I do want you all to recognize that Neil Hollowell is in the flesh. He's here. He's up. He's running, running races, feeling like a brand new man. We are thankful that the surgery went well, and we're so glad that he was able to get back into town just in time um, for services. So we are glad that uh, Sandy and Neil made it back to Sweet Home Olive Branch, Mississippi. I also have another important announcement that I wanted to make you aware of. Today is a very special day. On this day, a long time ago, Brother Bill Miller was born. And we are so excited to have him here. <laughs> and uh, just so you know, right after services, we will be having a birthday celebration, or you might call it a focus team meeting. <laughs> but we are going to focus on Brother Bill's birthday. So, encourage you to hang around after services as we spend some time together tonight. Now, as we begin our lesson tonight, I want to draw you in to the Son of God. We just sang the song, Jesus, the Lamb of God. We've got Jesus who is name above all names, wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. We go on and we look at Christ and there are so many things that we can recognize about Him. Now the problem is we only have an hour or 30 minutes or so and there is a lot of Bible to get through. As you begin with the Old Testament, I believe the theme is looking forward to Jesus. You get to the New Testament, we've got what is referred to as the Gospels, which is the life of Jesus. And then you get to Acts and following, and we've got the history and the letters teaching us how to live like Jesus. So in summation of our lesson, please read Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 22. If you get through all that, you'll have Jesus pretty well figured out. Now tonight as we look at Jesus, we're not going to be able to look at all of that. There's a lot more material within God's Word than we have time to look at. So we broke it down into three simple points. And first we want to look at Jesus... The Son of God, or Christ, God in the flesh. Understanding last week on Sunday night, now we had to do this online so it was a little different than what we had planned, but last Sunday night we talked about God the Father, tonight we will be talking about God the Son. Now understanding as you talk about God the Son and you compare Him with God the Father or God the Holy Spirit, the realization is the Godhead is perfectly in union. They're perfectly in agreement. You know, within the, the physical life that we live, we have unions where a husband and a wife become one, or a man and a woman become one, and they call them husband and wife. And the reality is within that, we try to be united. You know, we work together. We've got, for instance, for my family, we've got a Jude and we've got a Charlie, and it's like, We've got to be united as we bring them up. At the same time, we've got to be united as the 
the couple or the union that God created. But within our union, sometimes it just so happens that my wife has an idea and I have a different idea. I imagine if you're married, you understand very similar things. The difference is between that earthly union that we're talking about and the union between the Godhead is that they are perfectly in agreement. There is no... There is no division between them, but yet they are perfectly united. As we talk about Christ, today I want you to focus that God was present at the creation. Now, it goes further than this, because if you're present at the creation, it implies that He must have been present before the creation, and of that there is no doubt. Look at John chapter 1 that Garrett just read for us a few moments ago. John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says, He was in the beginning with God. God being present at creation. Understanding that we're going to relate this later in John to recognize that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Word, are one. Understanding that as we talk about God being present at creation, He had to be there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 for the in the beginning God said. The only reason there's such a thing referred to as the beginning is because we are human and we understand beginnings. When we say in the beginning, it has no reference to the beginning of God, but rather the, the beginning of physical life. The, the, it's the beginning of physical nature. It's the beginning of physical anything. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we see the correlation between John chapter 1 and verse 1, how that the Word was there. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see separate entities. One thing I'd like to point out while we mention Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning God... The word God, if you look in the original, is actually a plural form of the word. It is not a, it is not a, a single, as in we talk about Jared, he. No, it is God in the plural form, not that there are many gods, but rather a reference directly to that of the Godhead. Within the Godhead there was Christ, there was God the Father, and as well as the Holy Spirit. In just a little bit we'll look at a few correlations where they're each mentioned together within that of the Holy Scriptures. So we've got God in the flesh. He's present at, at creation. And we notice that uh, within John chapter 1, there was a man that came preparing the way. In verse 6, John is spoken of. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Says this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. We recognize that John came preparing the way. He didn't say, It's me, look at me, I'm something special, but rather he said, He's coming. The way, the, the light, He's coming, He's coming into the world. You need to be prepared, you need to be ready. And the reality is, not long after we see Christ, that takes on an earthly body because he would be the only thing 
or maybe I should say, he would be the only one that could satisfy the needs of mankind. You go back to Genesis and we see the, the sin in the garden. We see God's plan there as it begins to unfold with the seed of woman. The reference to the Christ coming into the world. In John chapter 1 and verse 14 though it says, And the Word became flesh. So this Word that we're talking about in Genesis in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is the Word that we're referencing in chapter 1 and verse 14, when he says the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. In reference to God, which part of God ever came to earth and lived with mankind? Well, there was only Christ. Christ came to earth, He took on flesh, He lived just as us, and He did so in view of satisfying man's greatest need. So in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. The problem is, man wasn't having any part of it. Man didn't want him. Man didn't want to believe Christ. They didn't want to follow Christ. They didn't want to put him first. And so in verse 10, the reference to him, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. They didn't want any part. He was there. We see the miracles that take place. We see the teachings that take place. We see all the different signs or the fulfillments of prophecy that show Jesus was the Christ. And yet there were people that said, It's not my God. That's not my Messiah. That's not the one who I will follow. And so within this, we see Christ that comes into the world, and although people didn't accept Him, we see He chose to come for mankind. As I mentioned earlier, the Godhead is perfectly united, without any separation, without any division, without any difference, without, but between them there's no quarrels. You look at John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus there making reference to the relationship between him and his father. And in, Genesis, in John chapter 10 and verse 30, he says, I and my father are one. He said, we come together and we dwell as one. There is no, no argument between them. There is, no, there is no fight that goes on, but rather they dwell together perfectly in union. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, For in Him, referring to Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Finally we see that correlation. We see that agreement. We see that union. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. We see one spot within scriptures here where in Matthew chapter 3 specifically we've got Jesus is about to be baptized or He's being baptized. And at that moment we see all three parts of the Godhead present. Matthew chapter 3, you can recognize in verse 16, it says, When he had been baptized, talking about Christ, talking about the Son of God, Jesus came up immediately from the water. It says, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It says, And alighting upon him. And then finally in verse 17, so we've got the Spirit that comes down. It says, like a dove. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know that they recognized it. 
You get down to verse 17, though, and it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven. He says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Within this, we see the Holy Spirit there, we see God the Father there, and we see Jesus Christ that is baptized as he refers to, or as he tells John, to fulfill all righteousness. We recognize this snapshot here where we see that of the Godhead as they work together within their union, how they have a plan. And we recognize Christ, God in the flesh. Now for just a little bit, let's recognize Christ, our mediator. The reality is that a mediator is only needed if there are two things that have to be brought together. You know, I think of any time you have a quarrel between two people. Well, it could be that they go to the judge and they say, well, judge, he still owes me $100. And the other one says, well, now, judge, I feel like I've already given him the $100 for such and such reason. And so you've got a mediator and the judge is supposed to be the one that, that comes to a proper judgment where everyone gets what is justly theirs. It could be that you have a quarrel where this person is mad that so-and-so did whatever. And the person on the other side is mad that, that they got away with it. And so there comes in a mediator, there's some in, someone that comes in between them and says, look guys, we be, we've been friends for a long time. Let's figure out how to peacefully come to an agreement and we see Christ, our mediator. The judge that's going to give the righteous judgment. We recognize that there's a quarrel and that quarrel is that sin has come into the world and we say, well, I've got a problem because I want to go to God. And sin separates me. Sin prevents it. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that you will not hear, or so that He will not hear. As you talk about our sins, we recognize the biggest problem that mankind has, the biggest thing that we're up against, the biggest fight that we have going on in our life. And we see Jesus Christ comes in as our mediator. He comes in to... Bring the two sides together. The problem is God being perfect isn't able to dwell with sin. Isn't able to dwell with holy man and so there with unholy man and so therefore something has to take place. Within Christ being our mediator in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 5 it says for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. The one mediator that can bring us together. The one that makes all things better. Even John, back at the very beginning, when he came preaching the Christ, recognizes Christ as our mediator. He recognizes Christ as the one that comes to fight on our behalf. John chapter 1 and verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world recognizing that the sin is the problem, we needed one that would come in to 
work on our behalf. Jesus, our mediator. Not only that, but Jesus showed that he was our mediator. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, when you talk about a mediator, we're trying to bring man together with God. You know, there's one path that gets there. And when you talk about this mediator, Christ, it says, you can't get there except or but by me. He's the one that makes it possible. Christ knew temptation as a man, just like us. But yet within Christ, he did it perfectly. He lived life sinlessly. He didn't falter. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 points to the greatness of Christ. It points to his example. And it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, like as we, yet, it says, without sin. But he didn't come to the point where he faltered, where he slipped, where he gave in, where sin brought him down. Because of that, we understand that Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Understanding that he was the only thing that could bring us together. He is the only one. He was God that could bring us together with God. We needed him more than ever. We needed him more than anything. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, referencing the Christ, it says, "...who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth." He was perfect. And so therefore, he became the only possibility for our salvation. And you could say, "...he chose me." Matthew chapter 4, you can look at verses 1 through 11 there and you recognize the temptations of Christ as he was tempted just like we would be, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of the life. And he goes through them and yet he does it without sin. The problem is as human beings, oftentimes we choose the wrong route. Oftentimes we falter, oftentimes we give in and it just so happens that we can give thanks to the Lord because Jesus lived perfectly. The only possibility for this mediation to work, for Christ to be our mediator, was that of his sacrifice. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see a picture here how that Christ was the perfect offering. He was the perfect mediator for us. In verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. The reality is, when you're talking about sin, it's really that of a, a battle. Because when we sin, then we're in this battle where we're stuck in a lost state. We're stuck without hope. And it says, for he himself is our peace. It's going to go on to explain it, but the idea outside of Christ, there is no peace. It doesn't exist. He himself is our peace, who has made both one. 
and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, the old law, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Notice verse 16, it says, And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He paved the way. He made a way for us so that we could see salvation. Within this, we see our Prince of Peace. Within this whole idea of being a mediator is the idea that He's a mediator of peace. Without Christ, we didn't have peace. Without Christ, there was no hope. And Isaiah, looking forward and prophesying of the, the Christ coming, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see Christ, our mediator. He's the one that was the go-between. He was the one that gave us hope and the one that gives us life. Finally, let's recognize Christ, our salvation. As the good shepherd, Jesus desires life for his sheep. There's not one that he wants to give up on. You can look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 through 14 there. We see the, the 99 sheep. If one goes astray, what's the point? He cares about that one. He doesn't want one person to be lost. As the good shepherd, Christ wanted mankind to be saved. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, speaking in reference to that shepherd relationship, he says, I am the good shepherd. He said, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Talk about the ultimate sacrifice you go down just a little bit further in verse 15, it says, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. He wasn't forced. Remember as he prayed to the Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thine be done. The idea there, I'm willing to do what it takes for mankind. As the good shepherd... I've got to protect my sheep. And so he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Notice God sent his son as the only one who could satisfy the penalty of sin. Within Christ was our only hope of life. 1 Peter chapter 4. Sorry, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. It goes on in verse 10, he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the, the place taker, be the sacrifice on our behalf, to be the propitiation for our sins. We see God gives His Son. We see Christ gives His life. And we recognize without that there is no hope. Through the sufferings of Christ, we see the, re the remedy of sin in action. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For it was fitting 
for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. We talk about the cruel death that Christ had to suffer through. It says we're made perfect through his sufferings. Within this, we recognize the gospel plan of salvation. I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has to be one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Of course, I would say that about many different passages if uh, we're talking about them at the time. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand. He goes on to say in verse 2, By which, the same gospel, also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So he said, I gave you, I presented you with the gospel. It's what saved you. It's what allowed you to stand. It's what I preached. It's what I declared. And he says in verse 3, here's what I shared with you. When I shared the gospel, this is what I gave you. For I delivered to you first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. Verse 4, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Therein we find the gospel message. The gospel plan of salvation, how that Christ came. And we see in verse 3 that He died for our sins. We see in verse 4 that He was buried. And then we see also in verse 4 that he rose again. We can follow that pattern where we die to sin and recognize I'm no longer choosing sin, but I'm choosing a better way of life. Just as Jesus was buried following his death, we see the pattern how that we follow and we are buried in water. Romans chapter 6. Verse 3 and 4. We see that we follow that pattern how that, that Christ died and He was buried in the tomb, but the story doesn't end there. The reality is that He rose again, and in Romans chapter 6, He says, And we rise to walk in newness of life. Just as Christ rose again, we too rise again to live that new life in Christ. God the Father through Christ, gave guidelines by which salvation can be reached. Not only is it salvation can be reached, but it must be reached. It can't be reached any other way. John chapter 12 and verse 48 says, He who rejects me, Jesus speaking there, He who rejects me and receives not my word, has one that judges him, the word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. In verse 49 he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, he says, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. He says in verse 50, And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. You know, it's going to be impressive as you go through the New Testament that we recognize the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that of the writing of the New Testament, and it's going to be the same thing. Holy men of God recorded the Scripture through inspiration 
so that we could be obedient to the Father. Jesus said in verse 50, Just as the Father has told me, so I speak. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've become a Christian and you've rose to live for Christ, we ought to be able to say the same thing. Whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. We've got a message to share. We've got a world out there that is dying and lost in sin and that needs Jesus more than anyone. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I ask you why not. Why would you wait any longer? Why would you allow yourself to not enjoy the hope that is provided through the Son who gave His life? If you've given your life to Christ, but yet you've got tangled up in what the world has to offer. And what I mean is you get tangled up in sin. You veered off that straight and narrow path. You have the opportunity to come home. Don't waste a minute being outside of Christ. If you haven't given your life to Christ, make a change tonight. Come as we stand and sing.